Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It is my youngest daughter's 11th birthday. I can't believe it. Yeah, that's right. So my kiddos, they get older fast. And that actually opens up the entire theme of the next four programs, the rest of the week. We're going to be blessed by, uh, and then into next week. Marriage, a gift from God. We're going to dive into John Paul II's understanding of the person, of gift, and of marriage on the basis of that. I hope and pray this will be a blessing to you. I know it is to me. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. This series, Marriage, a Gift from God, is going to mostly be about reflecting upon married life, whether you're married or not, reflecting upon married life as something that God looks upon as very good. Well, if God's going to be at the center of what we do, we need to pray. So we're going to begin our, our, our time tonight with a prayer. I'm going to read a scripture. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 to 27. I'm going to use that as my um, passage of scripture, and then I will pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said, Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, but it did not collapse. It had been set solidly on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act on them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening in Jesus' holy name. And we thank you and praise you that you are a God of life and a God who gives life. And I pray that tonight you would breathe life into what happens here. We open ourselves, we open this time to you, Lord Jesus, and ask that you would redeem it, set it free, set our hearts and minds free to receive the blessing that you have in store for us. O Spirit of God, be stirred within us. Anoint this time. We are desperate for you to be present and at work in all that happens here. We do surrender and give ourselves over to the blessing that you have in store. Mother Mary, we ask for your prayers together with the angels and the saints, as together we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I'm going to guess many of you are here because you want to understand more fully, well, what is the church talking about when it comes 
to the idea of marriage and this idea that it's a sacrament of holy matrimony. And maybe I want to go deeper into that call in my own life. I want to experience a renewal in my married life. And when you think about the idea of, well, where do we find sources of renewal for marriage? Well, where do we go? If you look in our culture, if you look just sort of popularly speaking, what you will find is that there are many resources, books, and seminars that focus on very practical things. The seven secrets to a happy marriage. Five practical things you should know if you want to have a good marriage. And and it's very much oriented towards very practical things to do, sort of tips and techniques to help you have an improved marriage. Is that good? Yes. Can it be helpful? Yes. Can it be very helpful? Absolutely. But I want to take a different approach tonight that isn't, first of all, based on the idea that renewal, really coming to something new, discovering something deeper, going further into your call as a married couple, it's not going to, first of all, come from focusing on changing behaviors, changing practices. But rather, we're going to lean on what Pope John Paul II has to say about the path you take if you want renewal in your own life of faith. I'm not going to just rely on my thinking, but what Pope John Paul II says. He says, if you want to experience deep renewal from the inside out, don't first focus on the actions. But he said, rather, if you pay attention to actions, what people are doing or saying, those actions are also indicative of an attitude. There's a certain way of relating that is connected to your actions. For instance, John Miller. John, Jamie, has Jamie ever said to you, say yes to this, has Jamie ever said, honey, would you please stand up from watching that football game and go out and take out the trash right now? And your response will be, now repeat these words after me, using any tone of voice that comes to mind. Yes, dear, I would be thrilled to do that. Oh, there. Now, that's a particular tone of voice. Those are certain words that are indicative of a certain tone. Now, John, I want you to imagine some other husband that isn't as wonderful as you are. And I want you to use those same words. Yes, dear, I'd be happy to do that. But use a different tone of voice. (laughs) Can you imagine the dripping sarcasm involved in the words, yes, dear, I would be thrilled to do that, right? Same actions, but a different attitude you don't know what I mean, think. Anybody here have teenagers? <laughs> okay. Teenagers ever say the words you want them to say, but with a maybe slightly off attitude? Any of them ever? Okay. So you know it's not just a matter of getting the actions right or the words right. You also have to have the right attitude. So says Pope John Paul II, the right way of relating to something. Now he says, if you want to have the right attitude, the right way of relating to something, it's going to be rooted in or traced back to how you see it, how you are aware of it, how you are conscious of it in your mind. How you see something shapes how you relate to it, which shapes how you behave. Do you want to experience renewal in your married life? Don't first seek five tips to improve communication with your spouse. Please find at least five tips to improve communication with your spouse, but don't think that's going to be the same as a source of transformation and renewal in your married life. John Paul II says you've got to go deeper, something that's going to go to the core of your being, to the very depths of your heart, and there 
when you learn how to see marriage differently, it's going to shape how you relate to it. And then guess what's going to flow out of it in a brand new way? All your behaviors, how you act, how you speak. So that's going to be the approach we take in the course of this presentation tonight and over the course of the next three weeks. Now, where do we begin? How do we begin to see what the church sees about marriage? Well, repeat after me. Lex orandi. Lex credendi. Lex orandi. Lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. If you want to see what the church believes about something, see how it shows up in its worship. Pay attention to what shows up in the very prayer of the church around marriage, and you'll come to see what the church believes about marriage. Which brings me to the preparation for my, my wedding day. You notice it's women who are nodding, right? right? How much did the men have, right? Did you get to choose pretty much anything, right? Even your groomsmen, right? I know my, my therapist said, get it out. It would be helpful to speak about this. Uh, but flowers, music, photographer, where's happening? Where's the reception? What's going on? Honey, yes, dear. I learned it then. Yes, dear. Whatever you want. And your mother, right? <laughs> Whatever they want. I, I've already said yes. I've already, my, my yes is total, right? Except for one area. There was one area where there was a little gap. And that was, oh, wait a minute. During the wedding, we have readings to pick. Oh, I'll do that. I got that. I got a degree. <laughs> I can pick the readings. So they actually have specific readings. You maybe remember. And should I ask how many of you remember what readings were at your wedding? I won't. I won't. It's a little. Um, but what was the first reading, right? What was the second reading? What was the gospel? This was our gospel. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. It's one of the Gospels that's allowed to be chosen at weddings uh, for the wedding mass, for the wedding uh, liturgy. Now, the law of prayer is the law of belief. So what it's saying is, pay attention to this Gospel. It has something to say about what we believe about marriage. Did you hear that? Now, I want you to hear this Gospel as if you're at a wedding. Okay? Hear it again, and you're at this joyous occasion of a wedding. Everyone who hears these, listen to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man that built his house on a rock. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house. It did not collapse. It had been solid, it set on rock. And everyone who listens to these words of mine but does not act to them will be like a fool who built his house on sand. The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and buffeted the house, and it collapsed and was completely ruined, the gospel of the Lord. You know? <laughs> Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, well, that's a happy couple, right? What happened to love is patient, love is kind, right? Come on. Where's this hymn of love stuff? What's this collapse and was completely ruined? What in the world is the church doing when it's saying, pay attention to this gospel. Gospel means what? Good news. Somehow this is good news for those of you who are getting married right now. So, as I began to reflect on this gospel in anticipation of our marriage, certain insights came to me regarding what the church actually says about marriage. What the church says informs how we see marriage. And guess what that's going to shape? How we relate to it. Our attitude, which is going to overflow in our behaviors, how we act. Okay, so I'm going to ask you three questions. If you take a look at Matthew 7, what do you see? 
Everyone who listens to these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. In marriage, what are you building? What are you building? What's the picture? What's the plan? Where are you headed? Interesting question. For many of us, we were younger. Oh, how young. Right? And what were we building? I don't know. I love her. She loves me. We're happy when we're together. And does it really go that much further? That there's actually something that you're brought together to build. Interesting question. Second, in marriage, what do you expect? This gospel passage talks about something that you should expect as you're trying to build the house. Think about storms, rain. I don't know if I like that. And then in marriage, what is your foundation? There seems to be a lot at stake here. There seems to be a lot at stake in getting this part right that as you try to build something in your marriage and face the different storms, it better be resting on something strong enough to withstand the storms. And so what I want to do is I want to break open these three points, these three points about marriage. And I'm going to do so and I'm going to lay out what is the church's vision of marriage. Let's take a look at that marriage vow as a source of insight regarding what we should expect. And then let's talk about the foundation for our married life. First, the church's vision for marriage. Now, as soon as I say that, I need you to stop and think for a moment about why we would consider it really important to ask ourselves, what is the Catholic Church's vision on marriage? What does the Catholic Church's teaching say about marriage? Why is that important for us to think about? And I put it down in the form of a question. What is the source of the Catholic Church's teaching on marriage? Is the source of the Church's teaching on marriage a bunch of guys who are sort of old celibate bishops? Like, they're the ones that are telling us about marriage? Are you kidding me? No, what the Catholic Church teaches is that its teaching has been received. It's a steward of a teaching that has come from where? From God. The church doesn't teach what it teaches because it thinks it's right. The church teaches what it teaches because it believes it has come from God. It has been revealed by God through Jesus Christ. And the Catholic Church is handing on faithfully down through the ages by the power of the Holy Spirit, promised to the church and at work in the church, that the church would unfailingly hand on the truth of God about what it teaches. And so, why is it important for us to actually look at the Catholic Church's teaching on marriage, as majestic as it is? Because we as Catholics believe, and this is what you have to stop and consider, do you believe it? Do you actually accept it? That what the Catholic Church has to say on marriage isn't just what it says on marriage, but it's what God says on marriage. And if it's what God says on marriage, it's worth paying attention to. So let's see what the Catholic Church has to say on marriage. CCC means Catechism of the Catholic Church, paragraph 1603. This is in the second part of the Catechism on the Sacrament of Holy Matrimony. This is just a couple of sentences of a very thick book. The intimate community, the intimate community of life and love, which constitutes the married state, has been established by the Creator and endowed by Him with its own proper laws. 
God himself is the author of marriage. Marriage is not a purely human institution. Wow, it's pretty striking language there. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. I want to draw attention to three points. The first point has to do with this phrase, God is the author of marriage. How striking is that? God is the author of marriage. Marriage isn't just a merely human institution. Now, whether or not we've actually ever consciously made the decision to believe this, I'm going to propose to you that at least somewhere in our minds, we tend to think of our marriage like this. I found Carrie, or Carrie found me. Right? <laughs> Depends on who's telling the story. <laughs> Carrie reeled me in. <laughs> I was kidding, Carrie. <laughs> uh, and, um, and somehow we got together and we discovered... Yes, let's make this journey through life together. Will you marry me? And then we turned together towards God and said, what do you think? We hope that you'll bless this. Somehow, marriage found its source. The, the initiative for us getting married was, was found where? In us. Somehow, we took the initiative, we figured it out, and then we turned to God and said, would you bless what we've planned? And I think whether or not we consciously have done that, I think that might be at work. The alternative is to say, you know what? God created me for Carrie and Carrie for me. And somehow, for whatever reason, he's ordained that the two of us would come together in this union, which is a sacrament, because he is intending to speak a message, to tell a story through our being together that's only going to be told in a particular way through our being together. I want you to think about this. To say that God is the author of your marriage is to say God has a story to tell. The author's writing a story. And he intends to write a story through your life that's going to be published for the world to see. That's why he's brought you together. What have I just given you? A vision, a way of seeing your own married life. God's the author. History is his story. Your married life together, it's his story. And he wants to tell it. Through your union, through your marriage, through whatever family God would gift you with, there's a story he's intending to tell. And so I ask you to stop and think. When you consider your married life, have you ever stopped and considered, God, how are we doing? Are we telling your story, 
the story you intended to tell when you brought us together. Wow. And I thought I was going to get five tips on how to communicate better. <laughs> and so to stop and reflect and say, God, please, if we haven't heard this before, we're hearing it now. I ask you, please be the author of my married life. I now give you the pen. Start writing your story. Now, the church actually gives us more guidance. It gives us some insights into what elements of the story he's going to tell through the vocation, the call to marriage. And there are two primary models or two primary uh, forms of, of reflection that we can use to give us insight into the story God wants to tell. The first has to do with the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. The relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Scriptures, Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5 tells St. Paul, talks to the Ephesians, how married life draws its source from the relationship of Christ and the church. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And what we learn there is that the story of Christ's love for his church, the church's love for her bridegroom, is one of self-giving love to the point of self-sacrifice. Christ loved the church so much that he died to set her free. He died so she could come alive. He poured his life out so that she could be set free to be all she was intended to be. Stop and think. What's the story Christ wants to tell, that God wants to tell through your marriage? I tell you one of the stories he will tell. He will tell in its own way in your marriage that's different than another is the story of you pouring your life out so that the other is set free. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of how often, how intensely, how continuously, for what end. I tell you, husbands, get ready. You want to see what your married life will look like? Look at a crucifix. Huh? <laughs> I'm not coming to week two. <laughs> yeah. Behold the man who poured his life out. There's an image. Husbands love your wives the way Christ loved the church. He loved her enough to die for her so that she could come alive. I'm not making this up. God's vision for our married lives. Somehow. Now, why is this so important? It's the good news. The good news is that there's life out of death. Um, I'll move forward. The other image, if you thought that one is amazing, get ready for an even more amazing reality that God intends to author through your married life. We believe that God is not a solitary being, that God is not simply one person, but God is three in one, three persons in one God, three persons, one divine nature, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we nod and we smile and we say, yeah, we believe that, but concretely, how does it touch our lives? Concretely, what difference does it make to say in your own lives that God is a trinity rather than simply one person? Marriage is a great place for you to experience the reality of God as Trinity. What am I talking about? Well, let's go back to the church's teaching here. Look at that text again. The intimate community of life and love, which constitutes the married state. Stop. Why don't you read that together with me? 
the intimate community of life and love which constitutes the married state. Stop. Okay. The intimate community of life and love. Very theological language. We hear it and we nod and we smile and say, that sounds good. But theologically, the intimate community of life and love is not first identified with the married state, but it's first identified with the inner life of the Trinity. Did you hear that? What is the Trinity? What is the relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? It is an intimate community of life and love. The relationship between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is called a communion of persons. There is a union of the three persons in the one nature that is infinite, eternal, complete, perfect, intimate community of life and love. That reality of the very inner life of God, that reality of the Trinity, actually is intended by God to have some display, some manifestation. It's going to show up somewhere here on earth. If people want to know what the Trinity is like, if you want to know what the inner life of God is like, just go to the Lambert house. (laughs) Cheryl and Alan, you go to their home, and you're going to see the inner life of God at work among the two of them and their four boys. Isn't that right, Cheryl? Absolutely. (laughs) She's thinking of the Trinity all the time as she calls upon them for grace. That's right. But did you hear what I just said? Isn't that striking? That somehow the very inner life of God, the, the way that the relationships in the Trinity are occurring, are meant to somehow blossom in how we relate as a married couple and as a family. Well, let me put some concreteness on that. What does that actually look like? God reveals himself in Christ, not as source, word, and fire, not as first, second, and third person of the Trinity, but as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To say that the first person of the Trinity is Father is to say something about the identity of that person. Theologically, it's called the identity of the Father is a relational identity. In other words, the Father is only Father because there is a Son. Did you hear that? And the Son is only Son because of the Father. In other words, I am only who I am because of you. You are the one who actually makes me who I am. Apart from you, I don't have any sense of real completeness of my own identity. Does that make sense? Marriage. I think I knew what it meant to be Tom, but I I really don't know what it means to be Tom, husband, until I made the decision, the commitment to pour my life out, to give myself over to Carrie in this firm, faithful, final, complete commitment to Carrie for life. In the giving of myself over to Carrie, I now have a relational identity. I can't understand myself apart from that identity. And the intimate community of life and love that is there bears fruit. We call them children. The fruit of our love. Children are now welcomed into a widening communion of persons. And the way that we are together in this circulation of love is meant to say, I am who I am not only because of you, Carrie, but because of the fruit of our love. I am only father because of the gift my children have given me. They gave me the gift of being a father. Is this making sense? Now, you're like, well, when do we get practical? I say, you got to get the vision right first. You got to learn how to see. 
And the more deeply we can be rooted in this way of seeing, we can let these truths implant themselves in our consciousness, the more fully we're going to be able to then relate so differently to our own lives, to our spouses, our kids, to our own future, and you'll, yes, very practically day-to-day, things change. You'll see. We're going to get uh, very, very practical as we go on, but we've got to get the vision right. We've got to get that awareness right. Okay, second. That's just the first insight that came from that passage of Scripture. Okay, second. The second is the marriage vow. Carrie and I, when we were getting ready for our wedding day, August 12th, 1994, our wedding day was so important that Major League Baseball went on strike. So, <laughs> it's a historical fact. So, um, we had been to a number of weddings where when it came time to say the vow, this is what you had. You had the 75-year-old priest saying, I, Beth, take you, Sam. And then you'd hear Beth's voice, I, Beth, take you, Sam. And we thought, that's not going to happen. We're going to memorize our vows, and we're going to say them out loud, really clearly. I'm going to say them right to you. You're going to say them to me. We don't need the priest to repeat them to us. That's how we wanted to do it. That meant practice. That meant actually practicing the vow. So I started to practice the vow. And then I found myself praying the vow. I, Tom, take you, Carrie, to be my wife. I promise to be true to you in good times and in better. (laughs) Wait, 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 wait a minute. In good times and in? In sickness and in health, and I will love you and honor you on my best days. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. I will love you and honor you on your best days, right? No, say it with me now. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. Okay. Praying that marriage vow was a great eye-opener. Very realistic picture here about, here's the question, what should you expect? The church is teaching us in the vow itself. The very strength of the vow is its realism. This is, I'm pledging myself to you for life. And you know what I expect? I do expect and hope for good times. I really do. We all got that part. But it's the other part that we're not ready for, we're surprised about, we don't think should happen. When it does, it's somehow this thing that was absolutely unexpected, unplanned for, and somehow we didn't deserve this. What's happening, God? God says, see vow. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Scripture's telling me to expect what? Rainy seasons. It's not all the time, but there's a season when it's going to be raining. Trials, tests, difficulty, failures, betrayals. These things are going to attempt to cling to us. Horrible things happen. You know this. Marriage is not easy. Marriage brings us to the heights that hopefully touch heaven. But boy, they get dark too. It gets hard. What should we expect? Well, as I started praying this marriage vow, you know, I started thinking about this before God. I'm going to go and say before you and everybody else, in good times and bad things, I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. I'm thinking, I can't do this. Not like I can't marry you, but I can't actually faithfully, I mean, realistically say that I'm going to be able to accomplish what I'm vowing. You know, I'm actually going to love you and honor you all the days of my life. Ha! <laughs> Ex- 
expect some of those bad times, honey, you know? <laughs> and, but wait a minute. Why would God set us up for failure? And I'll tell you, this is, this is just the absolute key. The absolute key is this. He gives us the vow to say, not because he doesn't expect us to live it, but rather he expects us to realize we can't live it on our own strength. On your own, with your own talents and abilities and experience and ideas and insights. Oh, I got this. I can handle this. Oh, I'm really good at communicating. Storms, trials, tests, good luck. Expect them to blow against your house in a way that should make you realize from the very moment of your vowing, I do not have the strength on my own to live faithfully what I'm vowing. What does that mean? Darn it. I need a rock. I need a foundation. And that foundation better be more than my word because my word, not good enough, not strong enough. I can't make it. I won't make it. But there is someone who's vowing that isn't just Carrie and me. This brings me to a very important question, and we'll take a break. And the question is this. What's the most important commitment that is made on your wedding day? What's the most important commitment in your marriage? This is a very, very important insight. You may never have heard it before, and that's a sadness. The most important commitment in your marriage is not your commitment to your spouse. And it's not even your commitment to God. (gasps) Well, what's left? On your wedding day, there was another vow that was taking place besides the one that you spoke to each other. And that was the vow Christ made to you. I will be true to you in good times and in bad. So says Jesus Christ. In good times and in sickness and health, I will love you and honor you all the days of your life because it's only on the basis of my loving and honoring you each and every day of your life that you will find within you the strength to love and honor each other every day in your life. You'll be able to love me first, and yes, out of our relationship, you'll be able to be faithful to your commitment to your spouse. Did you get that? God's committed to you. If you come here tonight and you're feeling down, you're feeling like it's a hard time, you're having a hard patch, maybe that hard patch is a hard year. Maybe it's a hard decade. I tell you, God has committed himself to you. Marriage is a sacrament. Do you know what that means? Do you understand what that means to say marriage is a sacrament? It means it's a place where Christ has promised to show up. He's promised to meet you there in the marriage itself, in the relationship itself, in the the, the, the guts of the day-to-day, he's going to meet you there. Christ is present in the sacrament that we call the Blessed Sacrament, the Eucharist. He, he promises to show up as Eucharist there, but he promises to show up in the actual relationship that he's the author of, that he establishes, that he called you to, you're responding to, he has a story to tell, and he's going to give you every grace, every gift, everything you need every day to be able to fulfill his plan for you. He's all in. That's why the consent, the vow that happens on a wedding day, happens in front of the altar. What happens on the altar? This is my body, which will be given for you. That's what happens on the altar, and that's what happens in marriage. But it only happens in marriage because it happens on the altar, and that marriage happens before the altar. This is what I mean when I say we have to get the church's vision on marriage because if these truths are alive in us, wow, doesn't that change 
how you want to relate to your spouse, how you want to relate to your kids, and how you're going to actually live day to day, we better get this vision right. I was actually on my way to give a talk on marriage and a marriage retreat at a retreat house in the Archdiocese of Seattle that's called the Far Away Retreat House. Have you ever heard about it? Do you know where it is? It's far away, okay? I don't actually know the name of the town it's in, but you have to go out 18 and you have to kind of circle it. What's it called? Long Bridge? Okay. Long Branch. Yeah, that helps me. So uh, it's far away from here. And so I decided that I wanted to focus on prayer and the football game on the radio. And so I put on the GPS with the lady's voice that would talk to me when it was time to take turns. So I set it all up, plugged in the final location, and it told me to turn on to 18 and not 18, 16. Sorry, you see? Okay, I'm already lost. To go on 16 towards Bremerton, and I just was peacefully driving along. And thinking, I got plenty of time to get to the talk, and, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I'm in Bremerton. And I'm like, I think I've been on this road too long. And then I fire up the smartphone, and it's frozen. Okay? The voice is not talking to me. See, I was expecting as I was on this journey that I would be in contact with the voice that would make sure I was going in the right direction. But because I had lost contact with this voice that would help me get in the right direction, I was actually going in precisely the opposite direction. Does that make sense to anybody? Anybody see where this is going? <laughs> you see, we can be happily going down the path of married life, happily thinking that we're on the right track, we know where we're going. We've received communication from God. We maybe even have heard some of these things before about what marriage is and about what God wants for us in our married lives. We're happily chugging along, only to wake up one day and said, I'm not sure I'm still in vital contact with that voice that's actually going to guide me on the right road. And when I get back in touch, I realize I'm going precisely in the wrong direction. What I want to share with you is the basis for living out the church's teaching on marriage, this majestic, this really beautiful, beautiful teaching on marriage uh, as it's proposed by Pope John Paul II. One of the great teachers of our time, Pope John Paul II, probably one day both a saint and will be named the great. I had the privilege of studying his writings extensively over three decades. And, um, and as I've done so, what really emerges so clearly is this central teaching on the person. He basically says, look, the, the issue of our time is really knowing who you are as a person. If you don't know who you are, what it means to be a person, if you're not seeing yourself correctly as a person created in the image of God, then this idea that you're actually going to live out this teaching on marriage, you're not going to get there. You're not going to get, you'll get the teaching, but you'll be missing the basis for actually living out that teaching. And so he said, let me try to explain what it means to be a person by using a certain category, a certain concept. And if you think about this concept long enough and you break it open, you'll actually discover a very profound way of understanding what it means for you to be a person. And that concept is gift. He said that 
to understand the person through the concept of gift is to get privileged access, privileged insight into what it means to be a human person. And over the course of my studies, I've been able to sort of synthesize down John Paul II's teaching on what it means to be a person into four statements. And I'm going to have you repeat them after me, and they're actually the basis of the rest of what I'm going to be saying in the course of these four weeks. The four statements are, repeat them after me, all is gift. I am a steward. I am to give myself as a gift. And I do not take myself too seriously. Each of those four sentences, they unfold in a particular facet, the teaching of Pope John Paul II on what it means to be a human person. Because in fact, it's persons that are called to be married. And if you want to live out the call to be married, you better understand what it means to be a person. Now, what does it mean to say, all is gift? Well, presumes that there's the concept or meaning of what it means to be a gift. Well, what is a gift? A gift is that which is given without expectation of return. So says Aristotle, quoted by St. Thomas Aquinas, referenced by Pope John Paul II, that there's something about a given quality to being a gift. Now, what I'm going to say to you is this. Stop and reflect with me on two different meanings of this sentence, all is gift. If I want to say to you, you'll understand who you are if you can understand that all is gift, then what am I saying? I'm going to say it in a way that can sound a bit negative at first. There's sort of a negative formulation. At least it can sound that way. And then a formulation that's more positive. Okay? So first, <laughs> the formulation that maybe isn't quite so well understood. To say that all is gift is to say that all that I am and all that I have has been given to me as a gift. Philosophically, the way of putting it is, you are not your own cause. I am not the cause of my own existence. How many of you said, you know what? I'd like to exist. Here I am. Right? And, you know, we laugh, but it says something about the very root, the deepest root of our being is that you are gifted with being. You didn't cause your own existence. And so you didn't cause your own existence. One day you kind of, it dawned on you, I'm here. And, much of our society, if you look around, will want to propose to you that the fact of your being here is just an accident. It's just a kind of random occurrence. Things have come together in this way, and here you are. You're here now, and one day you'll be gone. Oh, happy you, right? <laughs> what a gift, right? No, that's chance. That's not what the church says. The church says that to say that all is gift is to say that you are willed by God. He willed you to be here right now. There's a gift quality to your very existence. Now, to know this, to know this in the core of our being, that, well, I didn't cause my own existence, God created me. Okay, I think I've got that. But what about the positive side of saying all is gift? Or to say that I am a gift? That part is, is not as clearly or quickly understood. This is what John Paul II would say to you about what it means to say that you are a gift. Not just that you didn't cause your own existence, God created you. History has never seen one like you. 
and never will again. There is showing up in you in this moment in history in the world something of God's own beauty, God's own goodness, and God's own truth is radiating and put on display because you're in the room. You're absolutely precious. You are irreplaceable. You are unique. You're a gift. If you see that, if you had an awareness of that, if you were conscious of that, when you woke up in the morning, when you were bumping into each other during the course of your day, if you were aware, oh, irreplaceable one, Oh, never to be seen again. I'm seeing you again. Oh, such a gift. Can I put you on layaway? Can I return it? Right? If only we could be conscious, vitally aware, if we could carry in our minds this in our eyes, if you could see it, what would change? Your attitude, the way you're related. Absolutely, your actions fundamentally shift. Why? Because of what you saw. Now, what you saw is actually the truth, not making the stuff up. The church teaches it. You're created in the image of God. The truth that I'm talking about, this truth has a living quality. Think of a plant. It has a vitality and a depth. In other words, this insight about the gift quality of Mary You might feel it in a real powerful way right now. You know what's going to happen? Within a few hours, it's going to diminish. It will diminish in you, Mary. It'll diminish in Gunther. The fact that you, in fact, have been planted here to bring out into the open something of God's goodness, truth, and beauty. It will diminish unless we do what? Nurture it. Nourish it. Feed it. Go to the source of that truth so that we can truly discover and deepen the vitality and the depth of that insight. It'll be so rooted in us that we know it. You can probably see where this happens. Who is the gift that God has given you in your life? Your spouse, right. What's her name? And your name? Ed. Ed, Vicky and Ed. Ed, guess what? Let me say this to you. She's this gift to you. Guess how God has ordained things? Your capacity to truly appreciate the gift quality of your spouse, of Vicky, is connected to your own ability to recognize and appreciate and celebrate your own gift quality. But let me say this. Do you know, Ed, what Vicky needs from you? Vicky needs you to go to the source of the insight where you will know that you're a gift from God, that you will know your own irreplaceable quality. You'll know the power of that truth. It'll be alive in you, the gift quality of your own existence. You know why? It'll give you eyes to see Vicky in that same way. Make sense? Now, who's the one that's going to help us do that? That would be the Lord. So I'm going to give you homework. Homework. You do this work at home. You do this work. You'll forge a kind of home that has God and gift at its root. The homework is this. Go and pray, but pray in this way. You see, when we normally pray, 
Typically, prayer takes two basic forms. God, what would you like me to do? God, this is what I'd like you to do. (laughs) Right? Think about it. Right? Not bad. Not bad, but not sufficient. I'm going to give you a different way to pray. Yes, say, God, what would you like me to do? Clearly, you want to try to discern and obey God's call for your life, God's will for you in the present day. Clearly, God wants you to bring to him your petitions and your intercessions for yourself and others. Absolutely. But would you dare to pray? Jesus, show me who I am in your eyes. Jesus, reveal to me who I am to you. Because you will not know who you really are as Mary, as Katie, as Ryan, as Ed, as Vicki. You will not know who you are until Jesus reveals you to yourself. I didn't make that up. Guess who said that? Pope John Paul II. Jesus Christ not only reveals God to us, he reveals us to ourselves. Simon, you think you're a fisherman. You're Peter the Rock. Saul, you think you're Saul a Pharisee. I say you're Paul, apostle to the Gentiles. Uh, Jacob, you just think you're Jacob. No, you are Israel. You are a patriarch, and you're going to give birth to all these uh, children. On and on and on, we see people discovering who they really are in their relationship with God. Like Jacob, it might take some wrestling. Like St. Peter, it might take some embarrassment. But I tell you, might, like St. Paul, today's feast, big intervention from heaven. But I tell you, what the Lord wants for you is for you to know that he is the one who knows who you really are. And he will reveal it to you. But you've got to give him space. You've got to give him a place. You've got to open yourself. That's prayer. Put yourself in a place and ask him, Jesus, please, do what Tom said. Okay? You might not remember all the words. Just say, whatever he said, just do that to me, okay? Right? I need to know who I am. I need you to look at me. One of the greatest reformers in the history of our church, St. Teresa of Avila, right? Founder of the Discalced Carmelites. Now, she was a nun. She was already a religious sister, living a religious life very comfortably until guess what happened? She had an encounter with Jesus Christ. In the cloister, coming down the stairs into the cloister, the enclosed garden, here's this little boy. She doesn't recognize him as Jesus. And the boy says to her, Teresa, who are you? She says, I'm Jesus. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I am Teresa of Jesus. That was her given name. That was the name she took as a religious. I'm Teresa of Jesus. She says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus of Teresa. And that, in Spanish, is the genitive of possession. I'm Jesus, the one who belongs to Teresa. Do you know who I am? I'm the one who belongs to you. That encounter changed her life. She went on to reform the entire Carmelite community. Why? An encounter with Christ that revealed to her who she really was. And when she knew who she was in the eyes of Christ, when she knew the gift quality of her own existence, oh, that moved her to go forward out into the world. I say to you, don't just tell your spouse that he or she is a gift. Yes, please do that. But it will have power, impact. It'll radiate truth and beauty and goodness. It'll evoke something from them 
when it's rooted in, when it's traced back to, when it is based on your own having received that personal address from the Lord to your life. I'm going to give you a passage of scripture that will give you an insight into what will happen to you. It's from John chapter 11. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is in the tomb. Jesus shows up. He rolls away the stone, calls Lazarus by name. Lazarus comes out, as you know, raised from the dead, resuscitated, brought back to life, and he's standing there. But the story's not done because then Jesus says to the people, unbind him and let him go free. I say to you, through baptism, through the sacrament of holy matrimony, through the graces God gives you every day, it's the Lord calling you out of the tomb, out of isolation, where you can stand in front of him. But I'm inviting you to allow the Lord to speak to you in prayer. Unbind him and let him go free. Unbind her and let her go free. There is a kind of freedom. There is a joy. There is a peace. There is a kind of gracefulness that he intends to flow through you in your marriage and in your family that you haven't even guessed. You haven't even imagined because you haven't yet been set free. I don't care how deep that freedom is. There's more for you. Whether you're going to discover it, recover it, or go deeper into it, it's the truth. And so go into prayer and simply pray, Lord, unbind me and let me go free. Jesus, reveal to me who I am. Jesus, speak my name to me. Show me the gift that I am in your eyes. Please. Now, I'm going to, one last point. Have no fear. You probably know some people who have taken the gift message a little too seriously. They walk into the room. Gift has arrived. (laughs) It's about time someone's recognizing this, right? The opposite happens. Absolutely the opposite happens. What happens is your eyes get turned to the Lord and then... This is going to be the beginning of our next talk. You're going to begin to get the Lord's eyes for your spouse. Because not only do you not know who you are until the Lord reveals it to you, you don't know who your spouse is or your children are until you see them with his eyes. But that's one of the gifts he intends for you in your marriage. Let's close with prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you for all the good gifts you've given to us. And I ask your blessing upon us, upon our marriages, and upon those, Lord, who are here, who are single and are discerning marriage, ask blessings for them as well. Lord Jesus, I ask for each of us that grace, that special gift of meeting you in prayer and of meeting you in a way where we will be able to hear you speak our name, that you'll show us who we are in your eyes that you'll help us come into vital, vibrant contact with the gift quality of our own being. Please, Lord, give us that as a gift. Give it to us for our own sake. Give it to us for the sake of our marriages, for the sake of our families. Please, Lord, do it now. Do it quickly. Unbind us and let us go free. We make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.